0: Hello. Hi. This is the host, creator, producer of the Traeger Method podcast, Jason Traeger, speaking to you. I am going to start this episode by welcoming you to episode number 49. My guest today, the conversation I am presenting to you is between myself and my dear friend, John Quitty Quitner. Listeners will remember John, if you don't already know who John is, and or you don't know him personally, you don't already know him personally. John is, uh, he, he appeared on episode 30 with last week's guest, Sean Kelly. We did a three-way conversation that episode. And that episode focused on the Derek tape, that 45 minutes of audio that has infected the three of our lives, and probably yours too, if you listen to it. (laughs) Um, You'll notice Quiddy and I drop a lot of Derek-isms in this conversation. That's just the way we are. uh, We always do that. If you you can spot them, circle them, send them in to me and I'll give you a gold star for every one of them that you find. There's a lot. Quiddy has a soundboard, now that has sound effects on it. He drops a lot of the, very funny. I was laughing a lot. John was uh, in uh, several bands. Brent's TV, Muckle Teo Fairies, Behind the Prophet, No Lord Shall Live, and of course, Tight Bros from Way Back When, the band he was in with Sean Kelly. It's a fun conversation, I think. If I recall, it was a very fun conversation. I know I enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. I tried making a, a intro and putting this episode together yesterday. I usually, you know, release these things on Monday. Today is Tuesday. It's a day late because yesterday I was straight up depressed. No other way to put it. In a very dark mood, you know, or mindset just came in. There was a, it was a very dark, stormy day here. Poured rain from the sun never even seemed to come out. Maybe there's a little seasonal affective disorder kicked in there. I don't know what it is. I don't know why these emotional fronts move in with such ferocity in my life, but I am old enough now because I've, you know, this has been with me my entire life. I remember in childhood having bouts of serious depression. Um, And it was very, very debilitating to me in my 20s and 30s. Um, What now lasts for a day or two, sometimes just an afternoon, Um, you then used to take me out for three weeks at a time or I don't even, can't even remember. I hate to even think about it. But I've, and I also used to treat myself with, you know, alcohol a lot. I don't do that now. I don't treat my depression with uh, negative things now. I, I, um, I have a lot of tools now. And one of them is to give myself a break, know that it will pass. It never stays forever. And that's what I did yesterday rather than force myself to crank out an episode and try and do an, I mean, I actually, I did do an introduction or two or 10 that I, I just, you know, it's impossible to trust your brain when you're in that state, you know? And I, and I'd like to be honest and open about these things on this podcast. It is the Traeger method podcast after all, you know, and being depressed is part of the method. (laughs) It's part of the way I do this, I do life. Um, but you know you wanna be very careful about what energy you send out in the world, how you present it, and when I'm in that state, there's no, uh, I, don't trust, I don't trust myself to put across what I wanna put out into the world. So, today, it has lifted somewhat and uh, I feel tender. It's almost a good feeling after I have a day like yesterday because I feel so lucky to be alive. I mean, that sounds dramatic, like I was on the brink of death. I wasn't. But, you know, when you're in that really hopeless, dark state, it's like a death because all good things seem to have died around you and in you, all hope and potential seems erased. The past is something to regret. The future is something to fear. The present is something to, to bear, to just, you know, slog through whatever. So it, it feels death like. And so when you come out the other side, for whatever reason, um, there's a sort of, tender rebirth feeling and that's yeah that's kind of the feeling i'm feeling today actually i also am comfortable talking about this on this particular podcast because quitty i know for a fact because i know him well he has experienced a lot of that in his life at, at times in his life it, it has been very debilitating we don't talk about that in this conversation but it's true and i know he would he would feel fine uh with me saying that so I don't feel bad uh, talking about that in the introduction to his episode. And why would I feel bad about it anyways? You know, it's part of who we are. And, and, you know, and I share these truths about myself to, because I know so many of you also go through that and if, you know, and have uh, experience with depression, anxiety and all that. And I you know, I, I talk about it because I, you know, wanna put it out there, say, hey, you're not alone. You're never alone, even though you feel so alone when you're in it, you're not alone. You got at least me, if not nobody else, I'm there too. The floor falls out from beneath me and I'm floating. I'm feeling bad. So you know, and in the world of art, music punk, you know, it's so many of us experience that. And if you don't, well, good for you, you lucky son of a beeswax. God damn it. you must be so wonderful to be free of that because man, it is debilitating. think of all the times in my life where I could have been productive, could have been forging relationships and building things and moving forward when instead I was just spinning out in agony, you know, but again, what can you do? You can't go back and change those things. I mean, so often in life, you look for big revelations and uh, great peaks of accomplishment or whatever. But in my experience, in my particular life, it's just little adjustments. Do a little less of that, a little more of this, a little more here, a little less there, until you get to something that's, more functional, less self-obsessed, less um, difficult and hard. And I could compare myself to people. You know, you, you, when you compare yourself to people, you're there's always people in, in, who experience so much more horror than you and so much less. And who knows why things are dealt the, out the way they are. It's definitely not fair and equitable but I just trust that meaning can be found no matter who you are no matter what your gifts or deficits are You got to make it yourself though Meaning can be made Or found, I don't know. One thing I tell myself a lot in life, I've probably shared this on the podcast a few times, but uh, one of my meditations is this. I say to myself, everything is consciousness. Every thought, every feeling, every experience, every concept, every sensation is consciousness. Consciousness is infinite. There is nothing outside of it. There's nothing beyond it. The finite cannot live within the infinite. It's all infinity. Sometimes that helps me. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it frustrates me because I think, okay, sure, there's no such thing as death. All we ever have is the eternal, burning, deathless, ever-present moment. How does that help me, though? how does that how does that make me not regret the past and not fear the future? God damn it it should shouldn't it just knowing something like that automatically turn off anxiety and shouldn't I just reach the godhead by just knowing that shouldn't i shouldn't I just reach the the pinnacle of the mountain and exist within a state of in a state of total equanimity? with the universe? The answer is no, (laughs) knowing that. And uh, I've had my moments of of that, but it's not a fixed state. There doesn't seem to be too many fixed states in reality. It's flux, constant flux. One state gives way to the next, which can also be comforting You know, when you're going through a really hard time, you go, nothing lasts forever. No matter how bad it is, you're not gonna, it's not, it can't be bad forever because if it was bad forever, it wouldn't be bad because there'd be nothing to compare it to. You know, everything gives way to one, to, to the next thing. And this talk of infinity and consciousness gives way right now to me thanking you for listening and to thank my new subscriber, my new monthly contributor. Thank you so much. I appreciate it more than I can probably express to all of you who give monthly. You know who you are. Thank you so much. And to my one-time gift givers, God, I can't, it really makes me want to cry. Honestly, sometimes when I think about that, like how much I appreciate it. Oh, <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, and to people who buy my art on my website, there's a few of you too. My God. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. TraegerMethod.com. I have art for sale. Buy some now for Christmas. You know, it's coming <laughs> or whatever Hanukkah, season, non denominational, seasonal time of giving. Buy one of my paintings and give it to somebody. How wonderful would that be for all of us? All right. I may take a break for the next couple of weeks. There might not be an episode next week. Maybe not even the week after that. Who knows? But uh, I, I need to take a little breather and um, book some guests and plan out the next chunk of this podcast. Um, if you don't see one, don't worry. Okay. It's coming. Good stuff is coming. All right. Here is my conversation with John Quitty Quitner. Enjoy.
1: I can hear you. No. <laughs> I didn't hear that, but whatever.
0: Yeah. I mean, the sound effects, I heard it, and that, so that means I'm recording it. All right. Sounds and good. You can just trust that the sound effects are working.
1: Okay. I'll trust it. Okay. Now, so- I believe the subject was my amazing life.
0: <laughs> okay. So the subject, let's start this thing now. Hello, John. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Jace? Good. Um, Good. we just dicked around with your new um, mixing board. You got sound effects on board? Give us a laugh. Uh,
1: <laughs> I got those. I got, I've got. This. i got this. Another laughter one. What's this one? <laughs> For the pleasure of the audience at home, I can't hear them because I've got, you know, Jason just explained a little bit about my um, Chinese setup, so I can't hear it, but everyone else can so john
0: john bought this mixing board online while high at night and he went with the one because objectively the better mixing board is the one with sound effects so you bought the one with sound effects it's just that it's it's...
1: objectively true like you said i mean yeah about that that wasn't it was i was just pleased when it arrived that it had sound effects i thought why i bought this one (laughs) i bought this one because it was from china and it said it had a soned card in it
0: a soned card yeah
1: yeah, a sound card, but you know, S O N U D. Sound. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of. Oh, wait, when I do this, can you can you hear the Japanese voice that insur- that introduces it? Let's see. Oh, no. sorry. That's supposed to be me. Um...
2: That's there are different voice changes <laughs> taking effect. <back>, <laughs> you...
0: Yes, I can definitely hear that.
1: But you didn't hear. Like a Japanese woman. No, not the intro. Okay, that's good. But I heard,
0: (laughs) but I liked both of the different voice tweaks. Feel free to use these throughout the episode whenever you feel like changing your voice.
1: Well, I like this one because it could be done gradually, and uh, somewhere along the way, it (laughs) becomes And then I kind of return to a state of equilibrium.
0: So you can just slowly just
1: uh, slowly that. morph into a, a, a minion type person. I want it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all going pretty well. I mean, there's definite upside to the Chinese box. I no, need a different one. It's,
0: it's very good. There's major upsides to it. I need one. I need to get in a, a soundboard on mine.
1: Well, it's the first one that comes up when you're shopping. I love it. Yeah, I love it um so hey i saw you had a you had some new paintings yeah
0: um what do you mean recent things i posted
1: yeah it just i mean recent things you posted one thing that i've been meaning to ask you about the paintings is um that they generally they have like a sort of motion coming from the upper right corner into the center yes yeah what's is that um i mean of course it's deliberate but do you do you know what part of your brain that's uh
0: No. I mean, my panties are so close to just like, I just don't overthink them at all. I just kind of always go with, I've developed my artistic vision by just following the first impulse I have and not really thinking too much about it. And then just repeating things if they're pleasing and just not letting them just be really as close to the raw psychological (laughs) You know, sources things are and then they change you know they'll change over time of course but that's just a thing that no i've I've do that a lot i don't i don't really understand why i, I was almost I'm...
1: afraid to bring it up because i don't want you to have to overthink it and then go oh, i do that already and people notice so i'll stop you know
0: no no it, it's a thing it's definitely a thing some of mine are just complete just macaroni just squiggles going in all directions but uh Yeah, there's definitely that thing. I I look at it. I think like of the Nike swoosh sometimes because I sort of have the swoosh motion. And you're in Portland, and Nike's in Portland. Portland, and it's just you know, it's an effective thing. One thing I've found with with art that like the doing the same thing over and over again on some level seems to be something that people respond to eventually.
1: Yeah, totally. It's an identifiable um, little trademark, like the Nike swoosh.
0: Yeah, I mean everything I do is so crazy, but like. A few things I do, repeated, certain motifs.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, lately,
0: lately, I've been pulling out these older paintings and trying to finish them. And God, it makes me feel like a complete lunatic when I look at these paintings that I've had in play for like 15 years. And they're just so over the top and intense and big. And I'm like, what am I ever gonna do with these paintings? Like this big warehouse just burned down in my neighborhood that, um, over the last couple of days. And it was just this major- four alarm fire that they let burn because it was an abandoned warehouse and they just let it burn for two days and that's one of those things that when i woke up in the middle of the night and i smelled my whole apartment was full of smoke just the rankest horrible smoke and i immediately thought my building was on fire because i live in a hundred year old wooden building yeah and it's a four fourplex plex unit you know uh four units in a building and i just was like Oh, this is it i'm gonna lose my entire life's work because in my apartment i probably have which is also my studio i probably have i don't know yeah my lifetime's worth of art i've barely ever sold anything so i have like you know 700 paintings and probably a thousand drawings and prints you know and i was like oh this is it i'm gonna lose my entire life's work in the this. library
1: of alexandria <laughs> of me yeah yeah My. the library of traeger xandria
0: traeger xandria will just be gone oh it sucks like
1: but well what was one the record to... label that had the fire was it capital the, the capital i i forget it's you know one oh, of I the like know. oh you know about the fire you know like there's so many artists like the, their lifetime uh they the, lost the, all the, their master tapes oh yeah there's so much like you know like not not literally James Brown but i well maybe you know like but you know people like James Brown iconic people and less iconic people like i mean i don't care if we lost everclear but um you know <laughs> a lot of people a lot of artists the, their entire work all the masters are gone yeah you know and they didn't mention it for Ten years or something. Oh yeah, I
0: did read about that. But at least the music is out there. And I mean, they lost exactly. tons of stuff. But it, but it spread. I was thinking about it today. Like, if you were a filmmaker and you get your film made and it's out in the world, then it, it goes. But like, this would truly be a dead stop on like thousands of pieces of art that I've. Yeah, made.
1: no one would ever see it. I it's, guess you need to have a storage unit also susceptible to fire. But you know, diversify, man. You know. Well, the things- other, the
0: other, uh, the other um, uh, idea I had was like. Selling work or giving it away so that people have it in various places rather than in two locations. You know, well, you yeah.
1: know, I want one. It's I'm I'm uh, I'm, lo- I'm waiting for the right one, but this last one you posted that's very close to the right one.
0: I see a spot in your law office. Are all those?
1: Yeah, books- I think. Yeah, well, actually, yeah, you do. A- you can see a blank spot right it's a there. Very
0: good spot. Yes, huh? we will get something on there, man. I got to get the stuff out there before before I lose it all.
1: You know, the best use I get for. Um, these books that you see behind me well the best use is probably they give the impression that you're in a law office which is true that is true true. that is true but um the best practical use i get is that um on windy days i can hold the door open with one of them
0: with these books
1: that's literally a use that they get
0: the vision behind John's head is of a, you know, what you would picture in a law commercial—just books, all with the same spines, law books. What are those? Is that case law that you need to be able to reference, supposedly, Pretty much, in like
1: your in your in your law practice? The ones that you, oh, if I show you, I mean, it's not gonna—the people aren't gonna see West, it.
0: West Washington Digest two D.
1: Yeah, now that that's sort of uh, the blue ones you see behind you. Those are sort of like practice manuals kind of thing and mm-hmm. they're you know they're outdated because law books get outdated very quickly i'd imagine and, yeah, yeah um but the green ones yeah that's case law going back a very very long way
0: so that's where you'd look up like roe versus wade i can't think of any other cases
1: yeah that was a texas brown case, versus but, um, Bo-
0: board of education
1: not a washington case either but um no i would be doing that on software that people use now for things sure. like that these yeah. are just to look cool and weigh a lot.
0: So did you, you had to buy those at some point from like, for like, no, where no, they,
1: no, they're from, uh, they're from older attorneys that, um, you know, they want to get rid of them and they'll tell you older attorneys are always trying to get rid of their shit. But to be fair, I mean, they are useful books. They're worth a lot of money. And, uh, you know, like a, a friend that I have locally, um, He had a a newer set and, you know, he donated them to me. It was a pain in the ass, but they look pretty cool. I I think
0: No, they look very cool. I wouldn't trust a lawyer who didn't have a whole bookshelf of those green and rust colored books.
1: Yeah, that's it. I mean, you know, you might come into my office and it would still look like some Hessian's bedroom.
0: Right. You'd have like a uh, winger poster on the wall.
1: Exactly like I did back in the day. (laughs) Wasp. Probably wasp.
0: So, um, what does any of this have to do with your work with pinhead gunpowder? That's what we're trying to figure out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, there were legal issues with with pinhead gunpowder. there was a, there was just the issue of the royalty rate you know, when you like write all the music as hummed to you by the tone deaf drummer and And so you composed it, but not really. you know what what's that worth in terms of royalties? I used to, uh, you know, Pin and Gunpowder, a lot of that stuff is on uh, Billy Joe from, from Gray Day's vanity label. I mean, maybe that's uncharitable to call it a vanity label, but Adal- Adeline Records, which is uh, Billy Joe and Jason White, their, their label that they have, and they put out a bunch of the Pin and Gunpowder records and they can afford to pay royalties um, frequently. And so for a long time, <laughs> I would get, um, you know, a check for eighty nine cents and so forth
0: <laughs> from streaming or from from actual sales.
1: I don't know, man. I mean, Pinhead Gunpowder is not one of the ones that is that you know they sold it to be in a frat movie or something. So I guess streaming. What
0: was Pinhead Gunpowder?
1: Oh, Pinhead Gunpowder. That that was a band that me and Aaron Cometbus uh, had um, when I lived in Arcata. And I was in this band that that was on Lookout Records called Brent's TV. And um, through a weird comedy of errors, we had a tour with Green Day in uh, the end of 1990. That your
0: your microphone just got like bent. I see that it's going a different direction. Your voice just. Thank you. There you go. That looks good.
1: It's the one, it looks good. That's the important thing. Um, yeah, it's the one thing I can't control on my little Chinese setup. Is um, there's no there's no like tightening device that makes the microphone not like squiggle away from me occasionally. That's a, that's a, that's a
0: cool, uh, uh, a cool feature. It's cool trying to keep feature. me on my toes. <laughs> Got to watch the wandering mic. I'll yeah. keep my eye on it. I have a better view. So, anyway, so tell us more about Pinhead Gunpowder and Brent's.
3: TV. Okay,
1: so so Brent's TV had this tour at the end of uh, 1990, a little West Coast and uh, Southwest Canada tour that Aaron was the roadie and we bonded almost certainly over the Ramones. And after then we were just bros. and he came back to Arcata with us and he stuck around so that he and I could write a bunch of songs, which like I said, you know, was sort of Aaron had the whole songs, the, the entirety of the songs in his head. He had the lyrics because, you know, this old band cramp he wrote most of the lyrics. Um, and, uh, he had the, the sound of the song, but he's completely tone deaf by his own admission, but by uh being patient and being good with that kind of thing, I would just sit there with him and and we'd hash out these songs. I wouldn't say that any of them were with maybe a little, maybe a couple of exceptions, not a whole lot of my vision involved. Those are Aaron's songs. They came out of his brain with me interpreting you know, from tone deaf to music. And nice. um, so that's what we had, but we had a disagreement. He wanted to call it painted Gunpowder. I wanted to call it in my infinite wisdom, 50 foot Hesher. <laughs> and um, when we played in arcada, I think we called it 50 foot Hesher. Um, and he just, you know, he took the songs. He went back to the East Bay because nobody could take arcada for long. Um, even then, no, especially then. And um, he formed, you know, it, it, I don't think he envisioned it as an all-star band, but it's, it's sort of, you know, it was, it was him and Billy Joe and uh, Mike, later Sarah Kirsch from, oh, well, you know, Fuel, you knew Mike Kirsch. Yeah, yeah, Fuel. Um, later Sarah. Uh, Bill Schneider from Monsula And later uh, Mike left. And was replaced by Jason White from, at the time, oh, God, what Chino Horde. Chino Horde from Little Rock. Um, and so that that was Pinhead Gunpowder, and I think kind of still is. I mean, you know, I saw Pinhead Gunpowder, that yeah, was 10 years ago. It was 2009, probably 12 years ago. So I think, you know, they, they play when they're all in the same place. Nice so that that's what Pinhead Gunpowder is and so you know they continued to be a band and, and write songs and stuff but they always liked the songs that me and Aaron wrote and actually he told me you know they were very um, attached to the songs that I wrote by myself which was a different thing but he wouldn't let them do those ones because those were mine and um, I wouldn't have cared if they did it I would have been flattered but that's cool one was called stab you in the eye it's a real happy little number <laughs>
0: That, that style of songwriting <clears throat> where you take, uh, you know, record, he, he re- records the, the tune, you know, or, or trans, you translate the tune. You know that that's how the Dead Kennedys music was written. You're kidding. <laughs> no, there's actually these tapes that I, I heard when I worked at Alternative Tentacles. Um, one of the guys from No Means Now, I think Rob f- found or got a hold of Biafra's songwriting tapes because he would write the songs by mouth. Like the tunes and the guitar parts.
1: Can you do me a favor and like kind of give me your impression of what that sounds like? Cause I know you do a pretty good jello.
0: I listen to it. Well, it doesn't sound like his voice, but he was just like, you know, he'd be like, you know, that's exactly
1: how that song sounds.
0: Yeah. It'd be like, let's, listen a landlord. And he had the whole tape of Biafra, all the classic Dead Kennedy songs written like that so it's proof that biafra wrote the songs for one thing and uh but secondly it's just like how has that thing never seen a bootleg you know or just th-
1: found the <laughs> or, or a sample a yeah, sample of- or
0: just a youtube you know something but it was yeah um, it was i like, hear hey, they're li-
1: i hear those people are litigious that might be one reason
0: yeah but it would be biafra he's not the litigious one but uh but yeah isn't that it's, god that's it's so classic it's so it would- funny
1: I like that it's evidence that he wrote the songs, too. And, you know, if Aaron ever uh, this is why one of many reasons why, um, you know, there's never going to be any disagreement about pin and gunpowder is for one. I, I really don't care. I think those are Aaron's songs. So, you know, if he went yeah. to the media, as he's so prone to do, <laughs> he went right to the media like I wrote all these songs. They're my songs. I wouldn't argue the point. Aaron Comet Bus is the media. Aaron Comet Bus, he, he, you know, he was for a time in, in Ponk. Was- he was the media, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was bus. the the it was like uh, the the zine template. The way that Maximum Rock and Roll was the newspaper. Yeah, right. It was like yeah. everybody, you know, Joshua used to have a Joshua uh, Plueg used to have a uh, Joshua a really Ploog
0: of behead the prophet. No lord shall live.
1: Yeah, and the Muckle Teo fairies and Mukilteo several others. Um, he had a really good like kind of summation of Comet Bus, which is like. Oh, uh, you know, I was depressed, and then I I just went on a long walk, and I wound up at the bottom of a cave where I found a burrito and a killer cup of coffee for a nickel. <laughs> that that was his uh his little that's synopsis, but really it's wrong. His,
0: that's his <laughs> summation of <laughs> Comet Bus. Yeah. I was really depressed, so I went for a walk, and then I went to the bottom, of, <laughs> found a burrito, and then we got a coffee. It was a, a really
1: cheap burrito and a really strong cup of coffee, and all it cost was a nickel.
0: Think cause a nickel that's Comet Bus, that's Comet Bus, yeah. That's Sorry, late.
1: Aaron, that's pretty much my life now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I live Comet Bus,
1: <clears throat> uh, still, yeah, Comet Bus still? for life, yeah, Comet Bus for life. You know, the last time I saw Aaron might have been that last time I saw Pinhead Gunpowder, I think that was 2009. And um, he owned he was running a bookstore in Brooklyn. Oh, yeah, he wouldn't tell me the name a brook-
0: of it. a Brook store
1: yeah that's what do you mean well well he uh (laughs) he wouldn't tell me the name of the store as though i couldn't just you know google it because it already had the name and it was he's like it's a really bad name i don't want to it was like dude i can find out the name just you know why did
0: he want to tell you because it's a bad name
1: when i tell you you'll know (laughs) book thug nation what sorry
0: book thug nation
1: yeah, I mean, that was that was 10, 12 years ago. I don't know if it's still there, but it was called Book Thug Nation. And that's kind of a bummer.
0: I see why he didn't want to share that. Yeah, Crookland, man. Crooklyn,
1: just, And just, just a street bookstore.
0: <laughs> Go <laughs> grab a book and hit somebody over the head with it. Give me a thick one. I'm at War and Peace. This is...
1: I got some of those. Already. You got a
0: whole law library. Yeah. Hit somebody with the goddamn law jurisprudence.
1: Dude, they got all kinds of books.
3: <laughs>
1: Check this one out.
0: <laughs> Listeners will recognize Derek Tape-isms all throughout the conversation, of course. Um, so was Brent's TV your first band?
1: Oh, yeah. Brent's TV was all of our first band, I think. Um, yeah, we were young. I think I was the oldest one, so, but I was maybe 20.
0: Yeah, you, you were the the senior. Was You grew up in San Diego, though.
1: Well, what makes you say that, dude? Well... Yeah, I grew up in Diego, dude. But but you know, be fair. I grew up east of I five, so I don't really know if it was Diego.
0: You were what was the was it Chula? What was it?
1: Oh, not that far. No, Chula's south. Chula's south. Um, Yeah, Escondido, and not that far north. I grew up in San Carlos, which is a little. It's in San Diego proper, but it's um you know like in that little. If you look at a map of San Diego, it's in like kind of a little finger that's between. El Cajon, La Mesa, Santee. So it's pretty much as far east as you could go in the city limits. That's where I'm Mm -hmm. from.
0: Were you, uh, you you were like a Hesher back then. Were you a punk at all? You'd never went to punk shows in San Diego as a kid, did you?
1: I didn't um, because I was frightened. Mm -hmm. I was fretful. and Because you were smart. (laughs) Well, because, yeah. And, you know, I I don't know. I had a thing. Like, I really wasn't going to cut my hair. I don't know. I Because I had an interest in punk. From the beginning, year, years later, I would learn that when I'm totally intrigued by something, that means I like it, kind of, you know, at least a little. And I was always intrigued by punk. And I remember seeing um, that Black Flag Target video yeah. on on network. I, I don't know. It was. You remember how much hysteria there was about Black Flag? Yeah. It was crazy. I mean, like Black Flag was on the, was, you know, they talked about Black Flag on the news in Southern California because it was yeah. like anytime anything bad happened in the punk circles, it was, you know, it was Black Flag was behind it and their crazy followers. So I remember seeing that Target video with, um you know, I remember it looking like they weren't even on a stage. I don't remember if they were or not, but uh, Rollins appeared to be just, you know, it, when I was twelve, it looked like it was him fighting a bunch of crazy-looking people and singing these insane, hostile songs, and I was like, "Whoa, it's it's even crazier than uh, the local paper said it was," you know. And yeah,
0: it's pretty raw stuff.
1: Yeah, and I, I uh, eventually I had, you know, girls that would be friends with me that that were you know brave enough to be punk because I was you know I was a scrawny, like gawky weird kid, at least in my own head looking back, you know, it was like nobody thought I was cool enough to be a Hessian, let alone a punk. Um, but I had, you know, at least I had some like long, stupid hair and I liked dock it and wasp, you know. Um and uh Shannon, bless bless her heart, you know, she used to loan me uh punk records so I could trip out on how crazy it was. What and, were the um, first
0: punk records you listened to.
1: Hell Comes to Your House. That was the first one.
0: A classic. Oh, yeah. She Loved Me. Just Hell just Comes to Your to House. Recently. I just listened to that recently on YouTube for the first time in years. It's funny oh, you yeah. mention it.
1: That's that and uh, Mommy's Little Monster. Oh, yeah. S-
0: su- such Southern
1: California so- uh
0: albums. Yeah. I mean, like the way that. OC I albums, mean, actually.
1: You know, that every. I mean, it's probably less like this now, but you remember that in San Diego, there were just things that were like completely mainstream almost that everybody knew about everyone in San Diego to this day loves oingo boingo yes for example
0: Sean Kelly mentioned that in our conversation a a couple times ago yeah just that if you lived if you grew up only in like North County San Diego you'd think oingo boingo was Bruce Springsteen like the the Beatles I I,
1: I almost got kicked out of a car once for not liking oingo boingo just dude you're walking you don't like boingo that is almost exactly how it went. Yeah. What? Get the fuck out and walk. <laughs> but yeah, social distortion was was right up there. I mean, they played in San Diego a lot. Not that I was at the shows, but yeah. Uh, but yeah. And uh, so I I borrowed Hell Comes to Your House, which I think they were also on, and um, and Mommy's Little Monster, and I was uh, I was taken with them. But I'm pretty sure I hit it behind a veneer of Hessian. Like these dudes can't even play. Oh, vapor- troslob- listen, they sing about drugs. These guys are crazy.
0: <laughs> you, this solo only has two notes. Yeah, like that. Yeah, I think Ludo. Dennis
1: Donnell Can Dennis Donnell is no Igve Melmstein
0: Rip, rest in peace, Dennis didn't Denell. Den, Tor- um. So
1: yeah. You. So I, I I had that, but it was like everybody else who was a Hessian in my day. It was Metallica. It was right when uh, it was right when um ride the lightning came out it was i don't know what the release date was of ride the lightning but the day before it was released which i guess would have been a monday because even back then things were released on tuesdays i guess um they played it on the metal show in san diego at kgb metal shop metal sh- Oh wait one moment
0: <laughs> yeah don't
1: <laughs> and, uh, that was so good so, <laughs> so low so low um and they they played uh ride the lightning and you know once i got a hold of fight fire with fire fight
0: fire you know, with
1: fire <laughs> it was real fast i mean hey, you your know your mic
0: but, just spun again
1: my mic's spinning out dude <laughs> um once i got a hold of that and uh you know it, from there it was a straight line. It was you know from there to Slayer to DRI. You know? Oh yeah,
0: yeah. you didn't you didn't go to that Metallica at SDSU show that I tried.
1: You, yeah, I, I tried. It was sold out. It was and I was you know I would have been there to see Armored Saint mostly, but yeah,
0: Armored Saint. Yeah, they they uh yeah they they were they were um that's where the the um barrier fell down during Armored Saint.
1: Dur- they went crazy during Armored Saint.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was like a stupid barrier, even though that place only held like whatever, 500 people, Ugh. you know, it was like, there was this barrier set up cause it was a metal show, you know? So you're not supposed to get on stage, which, you know, whatever makes sense. But, um, but yeah, so that thing, it was just a flimsy kind of plywood thing and it collapsed. And this girl that we had, I had taken these two friends of mine cause I had free tickets. Cause so you just, did the flyer cause I did the flyer. And I don't know if I talked about this on the podcast but i know i mentioned it on my instagram but whatever so yeah so i took these two Heshers who were friend- who were just kind of acquaintances of mine really but they were super cool this couple they were really friendly and nice and and they were like so bummed they couldn't go and i said hey man i got two extra tickets i'll take you guys and so we all went and they were you know uh, friends friends for life <laughs>
1: <laughs> the gnarly bonding the
0: gnarly bonding and anyways the girl got kind of hurt when the barrier came crashing down so They let us go back. Let her go backstage to like recuperate. This is at SDSU, just a college, and so the back backstage was just a little conference room, and so yeah. So she got to just hang out with Metallica before the show, and so we went back to say hi to her and got to meet Metallica and stuff, and they were all just super nice, and and uh, yeah, it was was just really sweet. So those and afterwards, like they were, like, that was the greatest night of our entire lives because you get to
1: see for one thing, seeing Metallica, which like I mean, they were. They were. That was peak Metallica. I know they were a high impact live experience, and besides the the introduction to um, to punk music, sort of like for, for those you know inclined to straddle the fence, um, it was a, it's sort of an intro to punk culture too, where they were very approachable.
0: Yeah, very where it much.
1: was like you know like they weren't they weren't you know they weren't acted like David Lee Roth.
0: Yeah, no, they were they were a major bridge for a ton of people to punk, you know, through t-shirts mostly, you know, as much as anything. It's just like <laughs> well, yeah, like, Poshead. Yeah, Poshead and then, you know, Kirk Kirk, uh, Kirk Hammett especially wearing like Discharge shirts, Motörhead shirts or or, you know, uh Misfits, of course, they were the big proponents of them.
1: And back to Aaron Combat, bus, I remember him telling me a lot of a lot of Bay Area people told me this, and it's ironic because when I moved to Northern California, that's when I found my tribe, like that that you know, like the the punk tribe was my tribe, just uh, culturally and temperamentally. It was like sort of like, oh, I belong here. I wish I'd figured that out years ago, but it wouldn't have happened in San Diego because San Diego was completely insane. And I I just thought that's what punk was. Me and Sean have talked about that quite a bit. That. I didn't know it was different regionally. I thought that punk was where people went to stab each other while a band plays.
0: <laughs> yeah, and yeah. back then places had such regional feels. Just
1: right. I mean, you know, like you remember I, it was during the the episode. I mean, I've heard him talk about this before, but the during the episode that you and I and, and Sean had where he talked about uh talking to Ian Mackay about uh oh, so where where'd you cut your teeth? Uh like I oh, got San Diego like, oh, my God, the craziest fucking punk scene there was. Like, oh, was it? I, I thought that's just how it was. Like, no, dude, we would not have like toured if all the shows were like the San Diego ones.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had the vantage point of having cut my teeth in the Northwest, you know, so I moved yeah. down there and I was like, whoa. But I expected Southern California to be that way because, you know, when you're when you grow up in in the Northwest, uh reading about punk and learning about it you always have these ideas of like huntington beach and just the violence of, of la punk and and that so when i moved to southern california i was like oh yeah it is what, what they said it's like but it, san diego was such a concentrated fighting scene and violent scene it was out of control
1: well you know when i got to northern california which in my case was far northern california um Humboldt, and um You know, and got to know people from the Bay Area and other points. Aaron Yankee, you know, Aaron Yankee.
0: Yes. Aaron Um, Yankee podcast, uh, TM podcast episode. I don't know the number. Well,
1: yeah. Well, let me tell you, we were, uh, we were best friends in college and she was a big influence in my life. And she, um, we got, we got to be uh, friends. We had a radio show or rather a a radio class first together. And it's funny because to this day, she's radio to the bone, Yeah. um, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, just, uh, turning each other onto music, but, you know, I was turning her onto like all and stupid shit like that. But, um, she really showed me the door to the, to the Bay area scene. And that's where I felt at home. Like once I started like meeting the Bay area people and digging those bands And the irony part is that, you know, when Aaron and many other people would tell me in the Bay Area, they're like, oh, God, when metal started coming and it just destroyed everything. It sucked, you know, like the scene was friendly. And then like all these, you know, like a sort of Hessian version of what happened in uh, L.A. after the, the Hollywood scene that was like, you know, gay and artistic and stuff got invaded by post Black Flag Huntington Beach thugs, you know, suburban skinheads. Yeah. Yeah, well, Suburban Hessians in um, the Bay Area. And uh, I remember yeah. Aaron telling me that, you know, it was like people would like people would like, oh, no, man, like it's uh, the metal stuff. It's not so bad. I mean, like the music's really fast. They sing about war, you know, it's uh, they're not different from us. But, you know, they were, but they were at yeah, the same a lot
0: time, them, like, like, I, was were like, like yeah. Yeah, I was coming the other way.
1: Yeah, I was coming the other direction, like- so it was cool.
0: The metal guys were like punk is a place where you can just go and just punch people and
1: it's like anarchy. Yeah, 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 exactly. It was Dave Mustaine being into the Sex Pistols.
0: Yeah. It's Exodus's version of the Anarchy A.
1: Oh eh? uh, yeah. But you know that you know Exodus's version was pretty anarchic. It was pretty good.
0: Did I ever tell you about the time that I got to go interview Exodus at Bill Graham Presents?
1: <laughs> yes, but and I remember it very well. But why don't you tell the people?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I don't have any great stories about I don't know. It's not uh, that no, great. No, no.
1: You know, I, remember, I remember sweatsuits. I remember Oh, yeah, that's sweat- true. You know, matching sweatsuits and you know a certain kind of defensive arrogance. It was a pretty good tale. Well, I was
0: friends with this journalist from the UK named Stephen Wells. He's rest in peace. His his pen name was Seething Wells. He was kind of a like socialist music writer from skinhead socialist British working class. So more
1: Billy Bragg and not so much. Exodus. He was
0: he was way tight with Billy Bragg from from the get go from way back. Um he and Billy Bragg were tight bros from way back when. And anyways, and he and also
1: very fucking hardcore.
0: Very fucking hardcore. And he was the boyfriend of my best friend who ran alternative tentacles, Joanne Cavanaugh, Cavana, who is also deceased. Rest in peace, Joe. Um we have and, a lot of dead friends, man. So they're all dead. You get to past 50 and half your friends are dead. That's just the built in if you're in music at least. Um And so he would come doing like, he would put together these junkets essentially to like interview a bunch of bands to pay his way over to visit her. So he'd come over all the time and set up a bunch of things. And so he would do bands that he had no interest in whatsoever. He's like, anybody who will help like pay my way over. So he's like, I got to go interview this band now. And and, uh, do you want to come with me? And I was like, who is it? He's like, Exodus. I was like, hell yeah, I want to come with you. So we walked up to Bill Graham Presents, which was kind of near alternative tentacles it was like south of market somewhere the big office and we went to one of their conference rooms and sat down with gary holt is the guitarist who's in slayer now
1: uh yeah but slayer slayer packed it in but yeah slayer packed it in
0: and then the bass player i can't remember that guy's name but well it
1: It depends uh who it would have been at the time if it was the original guy
0: rob mckillop rob mckillop yeah Yeah. And they, and he seemed like he was like a meth guy or something. He kind of had like that energy, but yeah, they were fully decked in, uh, sweatpants, high tops and Stephen Wells, Stephen Wells was just asking them the most disrespectful kind of, you know, just like a guy who just has no
1: respect for like a metal band. And they were just, they were, yeah, they were definitely annoyed. I remember you, uh, you know, just like, oh, well, you know, Like, who are you guys? Because, you know, like there's Metallica and Slayer and everybody knows about them. And then like, you guys are kind of, you know, picking up the garbage behind them.
0: Right. That was what he said. Like, so do do you feel left behind or something? And they were just like,
1: we are very satisfied with our recent contract.
0: Dude, we are doing
1: very well. Yeah. Yeah, That would have been a sore spot for Exodus anyway, because, you know, with the the, um, hindsight, it's sort of, you know, when their first album was recorded, um, it was, there was a year before it came out mm-hmm. when bonded by blood came, didn't come out for a year. So it should have come out contemporaneously with ride the lightning right. and, um, hella Wade's, Slayer's yeah. record. And, um, because of the ineptitude of their label, it didn't. So, I mean, that would have been a little bit of a sore spot because they were right there, you know? Yeah.
0: That's the history of rock, isn't it? You know,
1: in, in Exodus's defense.
0: In Exodus's defense. Yeah. Yeah. But they never had the commercial potential of like a Metallica, m- mostly because of Bailoff. I just think that vocal is so not uh, commercial.
1: Oh man. I remember the reviews. The reviews just made me want to hear them more. It was like, uh, yeah, this guy can't sing. If you like being yelled at, you should get this record. <laughs> with, ton- I was like, with tons of reverb. Yeah. It was like, I like being yelled at. That sounds cool. Somebody um,
0: Yelling at you about a deadly fish.
1: That's right, about a deadly fish, about a wall of death. But, you know, I always wondered if that was kind of part of their logic when they replaced Bailoff. I've never really heard a good explanation. I'm sure they had uh, commercial aspirations because all their friends were getting there.
0: The Paul Deano move.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, Paul Deano, I think by his own admission, is sort of like, I was just sick of the whole fucking thing. And, you know, like, I, you know, those guys we're willing to tour all the time and do this shit all the time. They weren't going to lose their voice. I just had it and I would rather party. So I left, you know, um, Bailoff, I think had to be shown the door, but it was some version of that.
0: Paul Deano from iron maiden. When they switched to, to Bruce, that's what we're talking about. If you don't know who Paul Deano is,
1: get the fuck out. Walk
0: dude. If you don't fucking know who Paul Deano is, what are you listening to this podcast for?
1: For, I'll be frank with you, Jason. I (laughs) 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 he loves these sounds Ah! (laughs) was that a crow yeah that was the awkward setting that was like oh no one's saying anything that's Ah!
0: that's just awkward is what it's called
1: yeah that's what the chinese (laughs) defined as awkward
0: awkward is a single crow on a branch Ah! cawing what you just got muted Oh shit! You can't hear no, me. You're, now you're back.
1: Uh, now he's back. And now he's back. Well, no, I came back two more times. <laughs> now he's um, back. Yeah.
0: This is the ultimate insider baseball. Um, uh, so, um, uh, so speaking of. Uh, Okay, no. Wait a sec. What's my segue? So Exodus. So,
1: so Brent's TV. Yeah, Exodus vegetarian. to Brent's TV and, <laughs> A completely natural segue. Yeah. So I'm
0: doing a very pro Quiddies musical history. So I do
1: remember, you know, people that I knew when I joined Brent's TV, which for those who don't know, and that will be everybody, was yeah. like. <laughs> Brent's TV. And I could say this because they existed before I joined the band. I loved that band. They were so weird. It was um, it was very fast, largely acoustic, harmony sung, just hyper, like kind of positive punk. the singer John dennery um later of the high fives and some other things um his older brother Dallas was the singer of Sweet Baby Jesus later Sweet Baby and they had a similar kind of voice and um so it was punk but it was like there was a banjo and the drummer played a floor tom and a spaghetti pot and a snare and it was like it sounds like just art stupidity but it was for it was just so genuine and um john and, and virgil shaw who has a uh like a solo career now they sing in harmony and the songs are really fast it was sort of like a cross between the archies and the everly brothers and the ramones
0: and that sounds, that sounds so bay area like yeah yeah
1: you know i i mean like the only bands that i could think of in the bay area that were like i don't know that were like kind of going back to something older would have been like i don't know the tamper van beethoven and the donner party sure maybe Virgil would have been familiar with those bands. Nobody else was. Um, they were just coming from punk. And, um, you know, I ran into John in a, um, in like a little diner and uh, asked him cause I'd seen his band and I loved his band. If he liked the Ramones, you like the Ramones, you like the cramps. And like, those were like number one and number two for both of us. And uh, so I just ended up joining the band, you know, very fortunately. And um, <laughs> I loved that band loved being in it loved those songs loved those guys that's awesome that was sort of joining
0: a band you love
1: oh my god yeah that that's what i mean like that you know if i'm amazed that Brent's tv never like kind of like has never been uh rediscovered um i just find that amazing because whether or not i was in the band i just thought that was the most unique crazy band i loved it
0: maybe this this episode will do it it'll start the uh
1: well, I'm an influencer, as you know. And, uh, you're a major influencer. Very, very powerful man. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm basically running Ilwaco, Washington.
0: <laughs> hey, man, you're, you're the Oyster King.
1: Uh, yeah, I am that. <laughs> the, the Rocky Mountain Oyster King.
3: <laughs>
1: For those who do not know, those are buffalo testicles.
0: <laughs> um. So you moved to the, when did you move to Olympia?
1: Nineteen ninety-one. And that was a direct um result of that that Brent's TV Green Day tour because How sad. um oh god, Olympia was it was just an exciting place. Like the the people there, the the people in the scene, if you will, were like very young and just thrilled about their little punk scene because it was definitely happening. It was before um I don't know. d don't you think the International Pop Underground Convention is sort of when the world like started paying attention to Olympia? Yeah,
0: I'd say so C- certainly when I paid more attention to it.
1: Yeah, and that's you know, that was the year that I moved there before the IPU. And um I had just been uh I, I met some people there that I just thought were super cool. And um Who
0: were the people when I, you
1: met? Oh, that would have been uh Brant Sandino. Um Aaron um helped me. Christina Kaye and Aaron um, Olson. Yeah. Uh, Brent Claude Turner. Oh, yeah. Um, sorry, anyone, I'm forgetting. Oh, yeah. um, R- Ryan Baldos moved there the same, roughly the same time as I did, you know, mm-hmm. Miyakama. and uh, Justin Trosper. Um, and all these people, they were, um, maybe Justin didn't show a lot of excitement. It's really not one of the emotions that um, <laughs> he's known for, but the rest of the <laughs> The rest of them, they just loved Olympia. They thought it was where it was happening. And I was vaguely aware of beat happening. And, um, uh, you know, when I came home to Arcata and I was about to graduate college and Arcata's is just not somewhere that you're going to settle down without a goddamn good reason. And I know like, people like a who, big
0: grow operation,
1: like a big grow operation. <laughs> and, you know, I, I do have, you know, a couple of the friends that I had that were, you know, living in punk world then that are still there have really successful niches they made for themselves. You know, Steve Bonner has a, um, oh God, he's a, he's a really successful contractor and he has now a distillery. They make whiskey and they're running that place. But uh, not for me, it wasn't going to be the place that I settled down. And my roommate at the time, Greg Davis, he, he said, Olympia sounds cool. We should move there this summer. And um, you know, like that was, I was easily talked into that. So that's what we did. And, you know, a month I got a job. I, you know, Aaron Olson left to, uh, to go live in the Virgin islands. And I inherited his job being a sound guy at the North shore surf club. That's so, good. Oh, it was awesome. I mean, it wasn't lucrative, but, um, you know, and I lived in the, the heroin hotel. Um, I have forgotten what it's actually called. The Angeles Angelus apartments. It's, um, yeah.
0: Like the dark side of the Martin.
1: Oh, you ain't kidding. The guy that wrote um, "Drugstore Cowboy" was one of my neighbors. Um, I, you remember? You'll remember being a Bay Area guy. The American Front. Oh yeah, Bob Hike. Yeah, and there was a big American Front logo on my front door. The Nazi um,
0: skinhead group of the late '80s, early '90s.
1: Yeah, wrapped in Olympia by someone called Nazi John. And uh, Nazi had, John. Nazi John was the previous uh, resident of my little. You know, one bedroom, one light bulb hanging from the ceiling studio apartment in the heroin hotel. How
0: much did you pay for your apartment at The Angeles?
1: It was about $200. Yeah. And, and me and Greg split it. <laughs> so we were...
0: Ah, <laughs> oh, the <laughs> it was, 90s. Just $100, our $100 a month.
1: Yeah, crazy. And uh, so, yeah, I moved up there. But, you know, I, I should say there was one show in particular that did it for me. Like when Brent's TV and Green Day were there, there was a show nirvana was supposed to play it if i if i could like even name all the shows that um you know you're gonna play that like nirvana was gonna play but then you know they didn't because whatever actually after a while it was because nevermind was about to come out they wrote you know and um, Not
0: not playing the lucky seven house anymore
1: not anymore um they were gonna play that and kurt was there i remember that i'd met kurt before and um i guess God, if you think about it, because like Kurt was there, Billy Joe obviously was there and it was just a little little percolating, uh, you know, like a punk big business ranch. Um, And this was in the mods at Evergreen. Those are a a
0: punk startup.
1: Yeah, something like that. And the show was, let me think. Well, Green Day, I guess would have been the headliner. Green Day, the the headliner of a house party. You read the headlines. (laughs) Um, Green Day, us, bits of depression. Uh, Giant Henry, before they had become unwound, and Witchy Poo. And I I loved all those bands, even Witchy Poo.
0: Where was was the show at again?
1: At the mods at Evergreen, which, you know, the the mods for those who...
0: Modular housing.
1: Yeah, modular housing. They were dorms, but they were like kind of freestanding house type dorms. And there were a lot of parties out there. Um, And that show was just off the fucking meter you know like I remember for us and for Green Day um, the floor just seeming like it was going to give out you know the floor is sort of bouncing and you're like oh shit someone's going to get hurt and uh, you know our singer is getting uh, carried throughout the house while singing it was just one of those really cool uplifting parties temporary
0: autonomous zone
1: yeah, like that. Oh, and Candy you remember Candy. Um oh geez, Candy, I can't remember her last name right now. Candy and Justin. Uh yeah, don't matter. Um, but an old time Olympia person. She used to date she dated uh, Craig Becker from Fitz for a long time. I met her there and we're still friends, you know, from that party particularly. So that party did it. That that party got me uh, you know, attached to Olympia. So yeah, I moved there later that year.
0: Awesome. When? How long before you started a band in Olympia?
1: Uh, probably not long because I was bored. I, I, you know, like that. My job as a sound guy, um, was not. You know, I mean, that was like at night, three times a week or something. So I was tell bored people about
0: and, the North Shore Surf Club. What was that place?
1: There was a the North Shore Surf Club was was a uh, was, I guess it was all ages. Yeah, it was definitely all ages. Olympia was an all ages place um, in downtown Olympia. Um it was working, but it wasn't working. If anything, there were just too many shows for a small town. So, you know, the volcano suns are playing no one's coming because, you know, they were they all went to see Tad last week or whatever. There were just it, it didn't ultimately work out, but there were a lot of cool shows there, some of which I missed. You know, I was uh I, when I moved there, I remember everybody was talking about Poison Idea who had just played there and Helmet, which um you know, we know them now, but in their day, Helmet, when they were playing Little Places and they looked very unassuming, um, they could really rock a, t- a tiny place. I saw Rocket for the from the Crypt for the first time there, and that was great because you remember what it used to be like just being in a touring band and, you know, your show got canceled somewhere. So you show up and you're like, hey, can we play? We'll be on first. Um that's what rocket from the crypt did. And they just looked like some dudes. No one thought anything about it. So at eight o'clock sharp, they come out, you know, decked out in red leather or whatever, and just fucking tore the place apart. And since I was the sound guy, I was one of the eight people who saw it. You know, um,
0: your mic just spun again.
1: Thank you. Cause that, you know, that was, that was the gnarly part of my story. I saw rocket dude.
0: And, um, I love that when bands give it a hundred percent to like the eight people that are there.
1: Oh yeah. And I really like and totally. And, and, you know, being around to catch that kind of thing. Um, just out of pure luck, you know, that's awesome because rocket from the crypt. I never ever bought one of their records, but God damn what a live band, great live band.
0: Yeah, totally. So,
1: um, yeah. So, yeah, there were just tons of shows at the North Shore Surf Club. The promoter was kind of a dangus, and you know, they, they went down. I didn't have that job for probably not even a year, um, and I had to figure out other things. But I, I, uh, let me think. I had in the, in the Lucky Seven house, which is probably the punk house for probably four or five years that I lived in Olympia.
0: It was the punk um, house for longer than that. I mean, it was a punk house for a long time.
1: You think I don't know? Like, as I got there in nineteen ninety one, and that's when my clock starts. But there were longer running punk houses. You know, the, the Mushroom was one. ABC, um, of course. ABC, the Glass House. Um, but Lucky Seven, yeah. Like they had had shows there before I got there, but it, it sort of got more punk dedicated um, when me and and Brent Turner and Maya Finholm moved in, and we had shows there all the time. And me and Maya started what ultimately like became sort of like a metal rockabilly crossover band. I don't think we thought it through very much, but that's kind of what it was. Um, and we were called bastard bitch. And that was,
0: Oh yeah. The, I remember that name.
1: Yeah. That that was the first thing I remember having in an Olympia. And I, I joined this band called honey bucket. Um, me and Jason, the drummer played together later on the Muckle Teo Fairies um, and honey bucket. I don't know. People from Olympia remember Honey Bucket fondly. Like for me, it was sort of like other people's band that I joined because um, I was real bored. Um, and I, you know, of course made friends of people that I still love. So, you know, it's cool. That was that would have been 1992, 93. Um, and, you know, th- that was no great shakes. But when, uh, sorry, everyone from Honey Bucket, to me, it was no great shakes. Um, I think we we know that among ourselves. You know, Jason still plays in And You Will Know Us by the Trail of Dead, and they're still going after something like 25 years. Man, they just got an, an award from the state of Texas, you know, like great, great Texas musician. You guys and Jimmy Vaughn and uh, you know, T-Vo <laughs> yeah, Walker.
0: Yeah, yeah. The, the fabulous Cadillacs.
1: Yeah, it, right. Um, but when I got recruited to be in the Mukilteo Ferries, that's when that's when uh, things started happening, um, which was, you know, my best friend, uh, Joshua Plug, um just came to me one day and I was like, you have to be at our new band, the Muckle Teo Fairies. Um, they had the name, but no song. So they quickly wrote the song. That
0: name refers to a, a fairy that runs between... Uh- Whidbey island and is that it or no you know, i have never the been Olympic on the actual Peninsula, ferry. the Mukilteo, yeah. the muckle teo ferry, you take it yeah from
1: muckle it goes where uh Bainbridge Island or yeah something like that um and uh you know I had made up my mind from touring with, with Brent's TV that I was done with like punk punk and it wasn't because of Brent's TV it was because all the bands we played with I was just sick of punk shows because yeah. people were were stupid and um but when they came up with these songs. And this was Joshua and Jason again from uh, First Honey Bucket and then and you will know us by The Trail of Dead later. And Rebecca Basie, um, I, I didn't know there was going to be this completely feral, just fucking, j- just fucking face twisting. Joshua, how can I explain what I how was How can saying? I really explain? That was not a human being. Joshua you know, Joshua, yes. the listeners of your podcast may or may not know Joshua Plug, who's now a traveling vegan chef. He still like lives the touring life. He just does it as a, as a vegan chef. He lives in Billings, Montana. Um, he was me and him got to be besties really quick. And it was over Judas Priest. And at that time, you didn't know anyone else in Olympia who was in the metal. So that was easy. But he's this like kind of very, um at the time, like kind of fey, shy, gay kid who wasn't really out. And he started to be a little out. And then we had the Muckle Teo Fairies. And that was his coming out project. He first out. Did he ever. He'd like, I had no idea he could sing, which in a way he can't, but he can like, I mean, he sounds like he's been gargling gasoline. He's just a really great <laughs> punk singer. He sounds yeah. like. I remember when uh, Tim Yohanan personally called me to, to ask if Maximum Rock and Roll could do a thing on the Muckle Teo fairies. And when he wrote the the headline that accompanied it, it said something like, I bet you haven't heard a uh, rage like this since early gang green. And that is a high compliment because early gang green is, I mean, you know, they came first, therefore braver and better. Um, but same, like where it just sounds like he's been gargling gasoline. Where it's just completely. I mean, they have a song called Rabies, and they sound like they have rabies. And- I
0: have rabies. Stay away from me. Hey. I have rabies. Stay away, hey, from away. from me.
1: yeah, that's the one. Yeah,
0: th- and- that 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 gangrene uh, section of Boston not L.A. That was oh. the, that was the thing I listened to over and over and over on that record. That that set a new standard when I heard that. That was like, oh my god, this is the fastest, most craziest stripped down thing i've ever heard
1: and they were really young i mean they're like yeah, they 15 were super, yeah and uh, yeah them and jerry's kids i mean did i ever um, tell
0: you about the time that me and kevin seconds prank called uh, chris doherty from gangrene
1: no please please go on <laughs> when i live with seven
0: seconds or with kevin i should say in reno in whatever the late 80s we were really into pranking people and just.
1: Oh, I remember, you know, Belvey and but these are all, you know, stories <laughs> yeah. for another day.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We would just like prank the corner minute Mart Bob for the corner minute mark. But, but I remember going through Kevin's like little notebook of, of numbers and I saw that he had Chris Doherty's number. And I was like, do you think this is still active? He's like, let's just give him a call. So we like called him in the middle of the night. And, but, you know, it's not a very good story because I don't remember what we said, but we annoyed the shit out of him. And, but, <laughs> So anyway, the, 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 I guess the story is just that I spoke with Chris Doherty on the phone once as oh, a prank, the, as a prank. That's a pretty good story. You got a pretty it. good story.
1: You know, <laughs> did you know Justin Johnson in Olympia?
0: I know the name. I'm trying to think if I know.
1: Well, he was pretty plugged in. And I remember, you know, I was also like, a you know, 91, really into pranking. And um, he had me crank call the band Christ on a crutch. And Why? I wouldn't. Um, <laughs> He was friends with them and they were. um they were just people you didn't want to fuck with um, because they were just serious. They'd been in the scene a long time yeah, and they, they didn't broke a lot of bullshit and they had recently had some tussle at a show with some thug, you know, like they didn't put up with thugs and they beat them down. They were that kind of bad. Yeah. And, and Justin had me call them and he's like, say, just call and say you're the guy that they hit and, and you're coming over, you know, <laughs> and I did that, but it sort of backfired just because like I felt shitty, like, you know, hey, guess what? Potentially violent situation. That's me. I'm coming to your house. And they're like, oh, shit, we got to get our baseball bats. We They were not afraid no. uh, at all. Like they were like. Oh, really? really? Like, because I'm going to, you know, they're like, come on over. I'm going to call the guy that you hit. And he's going to fucking hit you back. And I'm just <laughs> like, yeah, whatever, man. And it's like, yeah, it's your ass's grass now, dude. You know, pretty, <laughs> pretty like, cool. Come the
0: fuck on over here.
1: Yeah, I think they they fell out with Justin because, like, they were so, um, like, overtly, like, they were very angry um, as a result of that call. And so Justin felt it incumbent to, you know. It was like, ah, sorry, that was me. I put my friend up to it. And I think it actually ruptured their friendship. Sorry. <laughs> so yeah, craig, Craig calling, very productive way to spend one's time. <laughs> yeah, it was a really good thing. If you're not Longmont Potion Castle, um, you probably, you know, you probably should stay away from it.
0: Well, I remember Kevin and I, we, we lived completely nocturnally in Reno where we would sleep. Like, we'd go to bed at like nine in the morning and then sl- sleep all day and then wake up at night and live. And so we always, by the time like we'd go to sleep, we were always so giddy that we'd be like, let's just call this ad and <laughs> just respond to it as like an insane voice,
1: you know? Don't you miss that? It's like, you know, like my kids now, like they, you know, if you talk about prank calling, I kind of just don't want to give them the idea, but it's also like, uh, not, this is this thing, thing we used now. to yeah. No, it's i mean you can't i mean i guess you can somehow mask who you are that's calling but you know anyone who sees private number is just not going to pick up Nobody's just not, answer right Nah, no nah. and you know you might pick on the elderly but where's the fun in picking on the elderly right
0: yeah so what were we talking about before we got off on prank calls Muckleteo i know, merciful fate.
1: oh um. Yeah, Buckle Teal Fairy. So that was Joshua's, like, kind of insane uh, coming-up project, and I was pretty sure I'd ever wanted to be, like, playing punk music again, but they brought me back, and it was so easy because it was, like, you know, like, it would be generous to say, like, early gangrene, but it, it sort of had that effect where it was like, this is you guys, because they had, like, quickly written four songs, made a little tape, said it, you know, like, bring this to Quiddy, it needs bass. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I joined up because you know those those are the best friends I had in Olympia and they were making an insane racket. And uh me and Joshua in particular were into what was then called Grindcore and is now like probably called Death Metal, you know, like napalm death and uh the Marcus. early yeah, and the the early strains of black metal, dark throne we were really, really into. Um and uh that that was something we were putting in there. Absolutely nobody knew what the fuck we were doing in Olympia. There were no other bands like that. I mean, there were, there were, they just weren't part of the scene and like, you know, we were perceived at least at that time as being like kind of hipsters. It it wasn't hard to get that designation because I moved there and I knew who I knew and, you know, people would just pitch you attitudes. Like, good fucking hipster dude, that skinny dude, you know. (laughs) it was like, what? How did I be a hipster? And it was just who I knew. I didn't know who those people were how they were regarded in their community and they were uh that that was the first place i lived olympia where the punk scene the people i knew in the punk scene had been like popular kids in high school Mm. i mean that's not unheard of but it was the first place that i had been where like it, it was a very very different setup than where i came from which is california which was a lot more like kind of egalitarian none of the bands are that ambitious in terms of like kind of doing something different. Um, and Olympia had its own thing and it was really, you remember that, you know, how it was sort of resented by, um, you're kind of more salt of the earth street kids. Like, yeah. um, Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's like, if you had a little bit of fashion or if you knew this person and that person, um, you know, like K kids later called hipsters. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, for sure. Um, There was all those divisions.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, that's people thought we were, like, hipster people, but then we had this insane punk rock band, so we were able to bridge a gap, and uh, we were able to tour and uh, make a couple records, and we couldn't get along, and we flamed out in about a year and a half.
0: Then how, how long before you started Behead the Prophet?
1: Um, it was almost, I was pretty much immediately afterwards. It yeah, was because it's it, like
0: you and Joshua and
1: yeah and it was you know jason and rebecca um when we were in the muckle teal fairies they were a couple and you know we had formed factions kind of you know and um
0: yeah two couples
1: yeah yeah, now (laughs) me and (laughs) me and joshua were insufferable or i'm sorry inseparable probably also insufferable (laughs) but um you know no one ever really mistook us for a couple i i think uh I remember one person ever and it was my landlord. Um, That's sweet. That's funny. It was the only time I remember ever being mistaken for a couple. Um, But uh, we were, you know, like two distinct pairs of people. um, Water under the bridge now. But after, yeah, Jason moved to Austin and me and Joshua started a new band. Joshua had a very clear idea. The two of us had an idea that, we wanted it to be kind of obtuse to scare all the meatheads off because we had a lot of meatheads, you know. Because or and we played a lot of like kind of meatheady shows because it was like thrash, you know. Thrash, yeah. And um, so we wanted to have like some kind of like art damaged noise angle so those people wouldn't get it and they'd fuck off because we don't want them around anymore. Um, so I don't know exactly how it came off, but uh, he Joshua had this idea of he he knew everyone he wanted to be in the band. I hadn't even met Jordan, the drummer, like Joshua had met him. And, um, you know, I, I don't think I'd met Dave either. And Dave became a musical partner of many, many years. Like after that, for me, um, we were in a lot of things together. And, uh, Joshua, tight, w- tight
0: bros from way back when for one was one with last week's guest, Sean Kelly. That's
1: right. And, uh, Joshua went on a road trip and he sent me out to recruit all the members. And I, I just did that even though, you know, I had met Dave and met Jordan and we just kind of put it together. And we got Michael um, Griffin who at the time was about in his early sixties was in um, a noise duo called Noggin that was guitar and violin, just fucking noisy racket and electric violin, right? Oh yeah. Um, And just, i i was never a big noise fan but i did really like noggin and um michael um r.i.p was when did michael pass oh in the aughts Mm -hmm. in the like it was some time ago it's been at least 15 years um he was easily the most punk rock member of that band he was a lifer he you know had his own little plot of land in um Oh, 10 miles east of bellingham where where we used to practice and um he was just an art damaged lifer and you know we'd like go and we'd play these crazy shows we didn't chase meatheads off forever we you know we still had to tour and deal with all the like unpredictable nonsense that comes when you tour and nothing ever through michael i was the like fretful one who was like oh, these fucking people, like they're tearing this house apart, you know, blah, blah, blah. And now the cops are here. And, blah. and And Michael would just be unflappable every time, you know, it's like, oh, there's lots of nice people here to hang out with too. So I'm, you know, I'm doing that. I love um, having
0: people like that around. They just don't, don't have anxiety about anything.
1: Oh, it was a good influence on me eventually. Um, the only thing I feel bad for Michael, because we tell this story all the time still, but it, it's noteworthy because it was the only time only time in all the years that I knew him that I ever saw him get upset about Las Vegas I was not his Las Vegas just Vegas in
0: general he doesn't like Vegas
1: yeah he just couldn't take it it was um it was so not his thing this like glitzy place with a giant pyramid and a you know 100 foot tall Wade Newton and you know (laughs) the the diamonds of the Sinatra and all that stuff because we were just, you know, we were there to play a show and then, um, oh, let's get something to eat. And they like all head to this diner. And it was me, it was my fault. Cause I was like, you guys can eat in a fucking diner, right? You know, there's a gigantic pyramid. I'm going to go eat in the gigantic pyramid. <laughs> um, I didn't make everyone follow me, but they did. And that like, that was, uh, m- that really set Michael off. He was really, really bummed about just being on the strip And being among the the gamblers and all the like kind of sensational, like crazy Vegas stuff, and you know, like a a castle and a fake space needle and a (laughs) roller coaster that comes in and out of a casino. Um, And you know, I was just having the time of my life at the buffet and the Luxor when somebody came and grabbed me and was like, Michael's furious, we gotta go. I was like, what do you mean, Michael's furious? What are you talking about? Michael's not furious. And I went out there and he's just seething, just, you know, smoking and like staring at the asphalt, in the parking lot. Just like, I hate this fucking place. Just,
0: but, just hates but, Vegas.
1: Oh, yeah. Vegas just filled him with rage. And it was the only time ever, ever that like in all those years that I ever saw Michael lose his cool at all. Maybe
0: he was an angel and that, that like he was just he knew that that place was just a place of psychic darkness.
1: Well, he definitely knew it was a place of psychic darkness. He might not have used those words, but he knew it. He was just a—he a, he a peaceful dude. Like it. we played like violent music together and got our yayas out, but he was a peaceful dude.
0: He was such a great uh, presence in the band. Like just the look of this guy with the stringy hair playing the violin with the metal. I mean, I, there's something about the—you know—maybe I'm thinking of Paganini. Paganini, know?
1: yeah. Actually, yeah. I mean, going Paganini, back to I, the
0: Derek tape, you know. Carted off by fucking ghosts when he died. Thousands of people saw it. He died on stage. Oh, fastest man alive made it first mu- musician to openly sell his, sell his soul to the devil. There's something devilish about uh, the insane violinist in the mode. yeah, totally.
1: But Michael, like he radi- it's like he'd just be smiling his ass off yeah. while doing it. So like, you know, everybody loved Michael. I I wish they hadn't like kind of regarded him as a novelty. Yeah, yeah. But it didn't bother him. Nothing did. No. Except for Las Vegas. And um I remember playing once with Man as the Bastard and um oh fuck, which one of those guys? I guess Eric Wood was um what <laughs> people would always like then compare him to Mr. Burns, you know, it was like, oh, I, I get it, because he's like sort of like buck toothy, like bald old older dude. But um, you know, Michael was normal sized, Mr. Burns is a shrunken little dude, and he's evil and Michael's not. Mr. uh, Burns
0: up the fucking violin strings.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. He went evil on the violin strings, no doubt. But I remember uh, Eric Wood um, talking about Michael, and he kept using the word Gramps, you know, because they're California. He's like, oh, my God, dude, when you guys got here, I was like, whose Gramps is that, dude? Someone's Gramps came down to the show. That's fucking awesome. And then you guys are playing, and it's fucking raging. And I'm like, that's that dude's Gramps, dude. I like, you know, I got this like because I got this friend in California, you know, it's, like his gramps comes out to the shows. And he's all like wearing the wearing the merch, and we're like, that's his gramps, dude. <laughs> and it was like the word gramps kept had... Re- him coming up and I was like listen man he is—he may be a grandfather but he's not somebody's gramps when he's in our show.
0: He's not a gramps now if you go to a punk show it's going to be all
1: gramps. Oh no kidding punk is gramps. is that funny when you go to a show now and people are sort of like what are you doing here and you're like what the fuck are you doing here? This is grandpa music
0: Yeah no, I was talking with Martin about that the other day we were talking about how like he's like he was talking about some young guy that couldn't believe that Martin knew Chumbawamba in back in the day, he's like, because the kid Dan brought, no bacon, dude. Because the kid he, he had bought his first record ever that he bought was Tub Thumping, and he had no idea that Chumbo was, <laughs> was even a punk band. He was just like, he was just like, wow, they were a punk band, and you knew them. He's like, oh, that's so crazy. And then Martin was saying we were talking about like he's like, yeah, it's like that's like our like it's dad music. I was like, that's grandpa music. Oh yeah, like, like punk. It's not dad music. It's grandpa music.
1: Yeah, not to mention, you know, social distortion or whatever. Yeah, that's just... It's like, I bet Mike Ness does have grandchildren. Well,
0: I was thinking also about the stretch of music from like, you know, if if in the punk days, like the early 80s, you know, somebody... Well, I was thinking like the distance between Benny Goodman and Black Flag is a lot less time than between Black Flag in 1982
1: and now. Yeah, oh yeah, no kidding. I, I mean, okay. right. And so when like kids are you know my kids are super into kiss for example and we just went to see them on the the farewell tour but that's another story but that was um literally their record their first record came out almost 50 years ago um and they were in their heyday 40 years ago 35 years ago Mm -hmm. 45 years ago was their heyday so if in the 80s if in nineteen eighty-five we had been into music that came out in nineteen forty. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah. That was like, oh, this shit's off the hook. You know, um I mean, Choo Choo. Yeah, well, you know, like I just got a Roy Acuff box set yesterday. I, I like music from nineteen forty, but I wouldn't have when I was fifteen.
0: Right. Speaking of that and music, I I I mentioned to you that, that podcast called the story of rock music in five hundred songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd like to also recommend it to all Traeger Method listeners. It's a fantastic podcast called "The History of Rock Music in 500 Songs" by this guy named Andrew Hickey, and it starts in 1938, I think. Um, it's such a it's such an amazing thing to look at the evolution of music, kind of like a biological tree of you know, there's tree of evolution. It, it's very biological when you when you look at how things evolve and one thing leads to the next and then this person synthesizes and that person innovates and uh, you know this group and this scene and that loner and and how it all adds up osmosis to this osmosis is that is that a term what does that mean
1: oh you know osmosis is when uh oh, water, isn't it, water uh, passes through a membrane that's it water passes <laughs> through a membrane and if the membrane is you know say johnny rotten and the water passes between him and Buck Cherry. <laughs> then you got your osmosis. I don't know. I'm making this shit up. I on per. I deliberately didn't eat before today's recording because it was like, oh, I'll be, I'll go a little, uh, like, kind of nutty, and I'll say stupid shit. It'll be fun.
0: Are you losing it?
1: Uh, a little bit. You're you know? crashing.
0: <laughs> we're we're getting close to. I think we've we've crossed the hour line. I think. I don't know. We had such such long false starts, but um.
1: Well, when you edit it down, it's, it's going to be a. 10 minutes that's useful so (laughs) no
0: this is this this has been a wealth of good uh you've mentioned at least like 40 bands so that alone is cool
1: ah yes but sometimes
0: i feel like my podcast as opposed to andrew hickey's is like just this complete messy splat of music history in each episode it's just like a
1: it's punk dude it's just a splat that's right it's like early gang green podcast version but i really do recommend
0: everybody listen to that uh thing i don't know what number he's up to he's he hasn't done the 500 but he's up to like 140 something but uh it's uh so i started at the beginning and man it's been a fun thing to listen to you will absolutely love it knowing that you love rock and roll so much i like, love a rock I guess, and roll i guess part of the reason i brought it up is because he was you know at the beginning of the podcast he mentions that like now rock music has reached that point where it is now no longer an ascendant art form. It is now a thing that can be like looked at in the rearview mirror as a historic, the way that you'd look at like, you know, jazz is an ongoing music, but you know, when people talk about jazz, they talk about this era where it like had its primacy or whatever. Yeah. Or blues or country or or whatever, whatever. yeah. Yeah. Then they become a different thing. And like he was talking about rock music as having crossed that, that line. And I completely, it's interesting to see that and know that that's true when, when, uh, you know, it comes to this place where it's no longer the thing that kids are listening to, or they look at it as like music from another generation and guitar driven music. And, you know, I always think of like the Foo Fighters as like the band now that like represent, or Dave Grohl represents rock music, you know,
1: the distinguished gentleman's view.
0: Yeah. Like we yeah. have 250 songs that encompass all of rock and we propon- we are the proponents of rock music into the future.
1: So does it start with uh or does it I'm guessing it starts with a little synopsis of like, well, you had blues and you had R and B and you yeah, had he, country. He does, it,
0: he does it by song, you know, so he starts just with a song and it's just his opinion and this is it's all it is and, and he just starts I think he starts with a Glenn but Miller But really it's wrong. Song, but really it's wrong. I think he starts with a Glenn Miller song or Tommy Dorsey, I can't remember now. Oh, but, nice. but it was—it's a big band, you know, uh, swing song. But it has Charlie Christian playing the first ever electric guitar solo. Nice. And so he has stuff like that where he's like, "You know, this is why I include it is because of this one aspect of it or different things." And uh, and he, amplified
1: uh, guitar is a good place to start it. That's a good idea.
0: A single note amplified guitar solo—you know—that stands out in the in the music is—I mean, that's pretty much a rock and roll thing, you know. Pretty much. Yeah. And I've learned so much. I mean, my God, every episode I learn so much and, and yeah, and it's just about the record industry and what it was back then. It's just it's just oh yeah, it's
1: fascinating. Shit, I feel kind of bad because you and Sean are are pitching uh, podcasts a lot. And I never listen to podcasts because I've always got it's it's always music with me because I'm always catching up, like the same way that I'm doing with books. I don't know if everyone knows right. that, but it's like I, I've always just got a ton of, you know, recently purchased uh records or whatever that i'm trying to catch up with and um podcasts is that's strictly on long drives really
0: yeah well this one's a good bridge because it's both and he also has an accompanying podcast or playlist you know that's all the music included in the podcast so you can listen to the 500 songs as a playlist but uh but each each episode gets me listening to music too because it sends me off on kind of you know little worlds of music to check out some awesome. of the stuff is super obscure, and of course, some of it's stuff you've heard a million times, but you think of them differently. And it's just, it's yeah, it really reinvigorated my interest in music. And I found these certain songs lingering in my head, and I'm like, I got to listen to more of the, that, that uh, you know, Johnny Ace or whatever. The Mooglas, oh, nice. you know, yeah, that's
1: all right. You, you piqued my curiosity. That's awesome. Tons of great stuff. Johnny so, yeah. Ace, the is all great stuff.
0: So much great stuff in this amazing, endless, yeah. endless Lonnie Donigan. Um, okay, quitty. well, go get some lunch. Let's get some carbs and get some, uh, some protein and, uh, get your blood sugar regular. I, you
1: know, I'm slowing down a little bit and, uh, I really need some. <laughs> oh, some
0: Take and it, me. Eat a bite. Eat, a, eat an orange slice right now. What do you sound like?
1: What? Eat an orange slice? I was,
0: what do... I was, I was trying to get you to go to the high pitched one, eat an orange slice and then say, oh, now I feel better. <laughs>
1: What was that? That was contempt. That was the contempt setting. <laughs> it but it, it's, it's nothing personal, but I, you know, it's, I can't even hear it as previously discussed. <laughs> it sounded good. That's good. It, worked. All it right. worked for me. All right. Thank you so
0: much for talking to me on this beautiful oh, thank day. Thank you. I love that was you. awesome. Love give you my, too. Give my best to Ilwaco.
1: All right. I'm looking. I don't see anyone. I'll do it.
0: <laughs> okay. We'll talk again soon. Bye, buddy. Right. Bye.
1: Bye. Bye.
0: And there you have it. That's my conversation with John Quitty Quitner. As I was exploring the Brent's TV demo, which is on YouTube, that's what you were just listening to. Um, As I was exploring that, I realized that at the end of that demo is a conversation between John and a friend of his named Scott Garvey from his college days in Arcata. This phone conversation became legendary amongst our group of friends and a larger group in Northern California. It's not a prank. It's like the Derek tape. It's just a conversation between John and Scott. And uh, it's John revealing to Scott that Carlos Santana is coming to town, his favorite musician. And I, I, it's such a funny thing that I thought I would include that to close the episode. So here is John Quitner, Quitty Quitner, calling uh, Scott Garvey to tell him that Carlos is coming to Arcada.
3: Scott
2: there? Yeah. Scott? Yeah. Hey, this is John. John, what's up? What's happening, dude? Just hanging out. dude. What are you
3: doing? Nothing. I'm at the at the radio station. I was just um. Crap, Fitch. What? Fitch? Yeah, that's it.
2: What right on bro? What's up? Did dude? I wake you up? No, not
3: even. Oh, you sound a little tired.
2: Yeah, I was just kind of lying down. Uh, oh yeah, I'm way way burnt. Dude, did,
3: did you know um did you know Santana's coming to Eureka? Bullshit. No, dude, I'm serious. Bull fucking shit. Dude, dude I'm serious. How much do you want tickets bet, go dude? on sale today? Bull fucking shit, why don't you believe me, dude? I'm serious. You're so you're such a liar,
2: you know? Carlos is my very favorite musician of all time, dude. I know,
3: and I'm telling don't you the truth, you dude. Like that, dude, why do you think I'm not joking your tail,
2: with Okay, you. let's tickets, Give me my ticket right now, dude. Where, where's he playing?
3: Um, don't you,
2: why are you doing this shit,
3: dude? Dude, I'm not fucking with you. I swear to God, Carlos
2: Santana, dude. Yeah. Why is he playing? I don't know,
3: but he is. And tickets went on sale today. You lie, dude. Dude, I'm not fucking oh, lying. I'm sick of hearing you saying that. When, you When? Where, dude? I'm not sure, but tickets are on sale at the works. Bullshit, dude. Dude, I'm serious. What I'm not have... fucking with you. How many times do I have to tell you? I'm not. I'm not Oops, fucking uh, with all you. Alright, whatever. What? When do you get off work? You don't believe me, dude.
2: No way. I'll never will. Dude, there's no way, dude. I've been working on trying to get him myself, dude.
3: Dude. There's no way, dude. I promise. You're what do I have to do to convince you? You're full.
2: Give me a ticket to you.
3: Well, I'm not going to buy tickets.
2: You're not going. No. Bullshit. You're not going to show bullshit. So you're full of it. You know if Carlos was up here, you'd die to go see him.
3: No, I wouldn't. I know you would. That's why I called. I was, wanted to... Fuck, dude. I... If, if you call swear, like, swear, um, say
2: I swear to God on my life.
3: I swear to God on my life. Carlos Santana is coming and tickets went on sale today. I'm dead serious. When do you get off KRF? Uh, well, actually, uh, this, this is Aaron's show, and my friends are up here. You he met Bob, remember Bob? But Bob? Um, no, no, not no, Bob, Bob from Santa Barbara. Right, right on. He's up here. Yeah, and him and Chris, and um, this other guy, Jason. No, oh, wait, tickets tickets really want to sell for. Dude, I wanted me to be the person who told you. That's why
2: I called you. Marley, Marley, yeah, Marley, Marley, Marley. yeah, God yeah. Bullshit! Yeah, Carlos. Keep banned from our solace. We're on our way. Okay, bye. Bye.